have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm getting here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike, bring me in. You really want to know? He can communicate with the future. Time travel? No. Inversion. Name it and pull the trigger. You're not shooting the bullet. You're catching it. Whoa. Well, I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. Your duty transcends national interests. This is about survival. It seems bold. Bold, I'm fine with it. I thought you were going to say nuts. How would you like to die? Old. You chose the wrong profession. Well, that from here. Hasn't happened yet. There are people in the future who need us. We need a tenant. We need to save them here and now. This reversing the flow of time doesn't us being here now mean it never happened. You want to crash a plane? But not from the air. Not so dramatic. Well, how big a plane? That part is a little dramatic. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. You are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And our brains hurt after Christopher Nolan's brain teaser in episode 208 today, January 15th, 2021. We're going to catch up with each other before we go right into our topic of the day, which is the Tenet movie review, which you could fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in your podcast provider detailed section. Our topic of the day is the Tenet movie review. We are going to start off with our spoiler-free high-level thoughts of the film before going into the spoiler elevator and doing a deep dive analysis spoiler review, I should say, of the film. Uh, Steve, uh, th- so you saw this movie before I did by, yes. by a couple of days. Um, maybe, yeah. or maybe just a day. 
We, we were supposed to see it together, and a then day. you just decided, uh, I guess, screw him. Well, and you went and watched yeah, it without me. Thanks to your unpredictable schedule. Thanks, whatever. We were, oh, we were whatever we, we planned we were going to watch it on Thursday no, night, and that was someone not decided they wanted to watch it with the waifu. I said, let's do it Tuesday. You're like, oh, I can't make it Tuesday. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do it Wednesday. Like, oh, I can't really do it Thursday. I might be able to do it Thursday. I'm like, so I was like, wifey and I want to watch it tonight. So we're just going to go ahead and do it. That's not how it went. Look at the text. You're like, I might be able to do it Thursday. how it went. Let's see. Definitely how it went. Let's take a look. See here. Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's see here, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Let's see. Uh, okay, Tuesday, you're one time. Are you able to come? I said, not sure. Today has been unexpectedly busy. I'm still working. And he said, you want to push it off the movie? Did you end up watching the movie last night? And this is Wednesday. I said, no. Uh, wife wasn't feeling good, so I was on kid duty. Did you? And you said, no, I will watch it tonight. And I said, well, we stream tonight. You're like, I know. We'll watch it before. Or do you want to watch it with us tomorrow? And I said, I think tomorrow could work for me. What What should we stream? No idea. <laughs> Typical of you. <laughs> that wasn't it. So, yeah, uh-huh. I think uh-huh. tomorrow could work. Uh-huh. Not like, yeah, let's do it tomorrow. I'll be there at like 8 o'clock. And I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah, and, and so there wasn't anything else from you on that point there. And so then let's let's move it to Thursday where uh, you said, we watched Tenet last night. It is now available to rent on Xbox. So I said, oh, I guess I'll watch it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, nothing is definite. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to watch it. I'm going to give yeah. up waiting for you. That's yeah, pretty weak sauce Ain't right weak there, whatsoever. I gave you Tuesday and no, Wednesday no, to settle on no, something. You ditched me. I didn't ditch you whatsoever. You did. Own up to it. I did not. Baldy. Owning up to nothing. <laughs> I feel like watching it my wife. I just won't reply to his text, and then you just watch it. You were, like, asking me about streaming. I'm like, it was Wednesday. I was talking about Thursday. No, honey, we cannot watch anything tonight. Must wait until Russ discloses his full Thursday schedule. just saying. (laughs) You ditched me. (laughs) So what did you think of the, uh, the film, Steve? I thought it was not Christopher Nolan's best. Um, good luck explaining it to a fifth grader. Let's put it that way. It's, it's the I'm most, not sure if he made it for fifth graders, Steve. No, it's a saying, Russ. If you can't explain like the plot to a fifth grader, most likely it's way too complicated and complex. So, yeah, the movie is fascinating and confusing at the same time. I don't think I've been more fascinated and or excited about a movie, but it's not a movie I really want to go rush out and see again. Mm. I mean, afterward, I was I was beat. Like I said, I'm exhausted. I'm like, I don't know. The visuals <laughs> were, You, you kind of petered I mean, out unexpectedly right then. I, I thought the movie looked great. Um, I thought the acting was awesome. Um, and there's a lot of good things to say about it. Um, but all in all, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's fine when a movie like 
is complex enough to make you think. But if it's always slapping you around like this way and that way, this way, that way, I mean, it, it, it gets exhausting. It really just does. And at the end, what you don't feel necessarily entertained. You just feel like you want to have a drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What did you think, Russ? What did I think? I thought that it was a very confusing story. Oh. But in terms, like, if, if you look at the story for what it is, like, if you decipher kind of the, the main yeah. points of the film, it's actually a very straightforward story. <gasps> it's the manner in which they actually dole out the pieces of information, the exposition of the story that makes it so confusing. And I realized that, that he, meaning Christopher Nolan, wanted to, to have that sense of mystery to it and have the viewers discover all, the, all that makes up the, the, the world of Tenet along with the main character of the film. I get that. But I think, in a way, it's like, like there, he kind of... I feel as though he did a, a little bit of a disservice um, in that regard, just because your brain is is feverishly trying to figure out what is happening, what is going on for most of this film. I would say, you know, half or three quarters of the film, and then it's not until kind of the very end where you start to grasp what is at hand, what is going on, um, and we'll get into that more into the 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 spoiler portion of the, the program. But one of the things that I also think was not helpful was that there really, there, there wasn't a lead in for any of the characters. It's not like we got to know who each of these, these people are. They, they kind of got dropped in our laps. You know, if, if you think about it while you're watching the movie, you're like, Oh, now we have this new person. Who, who are they and where are they from? And, there, there, there was definitely a sense of intrigue when, when we got introduced to these various characters. I, I thought that the acting itself was really well done. I, I, I really loved everyone's role. I thought everybody was cast wonderfully. I mean, it, I had no problems there. And I think that was kind of also the, the kind of a budding of heads for me with the film was like, I found these characters interesting. I wanted to know more about what their motives are and the purpose of them being here, but the manner of which they were introduced at different parts of the movie, you're just like, okay, who are you? Yeah. Like, like, where'd you come from? I need, I need more to go off of. Um, and, uh, you know, having said that though, this is Nolan's signature filmmaking. You know, like when you look at the, but the movie just as a movie, it has his hands all over it. Of like, course like it does. yeah, you know, I, and, and I love that. I'm, I'm you, both you and I are really big Christopher Nolan fans and you can tell it's like, yeah, this is a Christopher Nolan film. There's a lot of stuff I, I enjoyed about it. Um, I do think that that as a general idea, it's cool, but I think, they just, there are certain key components that I feel needed to be more clearly explained. And then I would have been on a hundred percent for the ride. <laughs> now, having said that, I also think that a movie like this, it warrants a second viewing 
Because the first time you see it, you don't know what is going on. You're trying to process and digest everything that's happening. And like, like for me, like I've, I've been thinking about it after I watched it and was reading like other people's reviews and stuff and seeing what people had to say. And, and that was actually quite helpful. Cause it's like, okay, yeah, I'm starting to see this. And apparently that sentiment of watching it a second time has been echoed uh, from many people where like people have been talking about the first time they saw it, they're like, what the heck did I just watch? And as a result, like, like they weren't sure if they liked the film or not. And then they said they watched it a second time and having that, that context from the first film of, of, of the first viewing going into it, watching a second time, just about everybody said, this is a masterpiece. Yeah, I'm I'm down for watching it a second time. I'm just not down in a hurry to watch it in a second time. The second time should be you and I. Oh, for sure. None of the wifey stuff. Well, absolutely. You're right, gonna, I'm gonna watch it with your bro. Yeah, whenever that time comes. <laughs> um. So, but I mean, at the end of the movie, I just felt so fried. Yeah, there, there's good stuff to 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 take away from it, but. It's being thrown, everything, the story is being thrown at you. The characters are being thrown at you. It's exhausting. At the end, I just felt fried. And I think that like when you watch a movie, you should watch it a second time for like, oh, I want to pick up on stuff I missed the first time. Or it was that much fun. I want to go watch it again on a second viewing. Not like, I don't have a freaking idea what's going on here. I can kind of put some of the pieces together, but mostly it's just a blur. I'm going to go, I know. And then at that point, you're not really wanting to go see it a second time because if you go see it a second time and it's just as as bad or, or as the first time, bad is kind of too strong of a word, but if you still don't get it, you're gonna, your mind's going to be fried for a second time. That's the thing. You should be able, it should be, all the information about the story and the characters and what's taking place should be given to you so that you, you can mostly figure it out so that you don't have to watch it a second time to actually understand the movie. Unless, of course, that is the purpose of the film. Maybe he wanted to be original in that regard and purposely like encourage like, like the idea being that though you, we want you to watch it again. Yeah. And your, your future selves have to go back to your past selves. (laughs) Spoiler. (laughs) And with that, follow me into the spoiler room, Steve. You know, you didn't have a lead in about the uh, topic of the day, bro. The lead in. What do you mean lead in? Steve? Uh, Hold on to your butts. It's time for the topic of the day. Oh, no, 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 not this time, Steve. Maybe maybe it's more like holding on to your brains from oozing out your ears. It's time for the topic of the day. Could be. Could be. Maybe it's forget about everything you know about time. It's time for the topic of the day. You know, if I had the means to go back, I would, Steve. And I would watch a movie with you. Maybe it's, we're going to go backwards to go forwards. It's time for the topic of the day. Maybe this spoiler elevator is, in fact, one of those little contraptions, Steve. (laughs) Question is, who made those contraptions? Are you wearing the red armband or the blue armband? Oh, I feel like a Halo game coming on. (laughs) <laughs> Red versus blue. <laughs> well, now that we've reached our 
spoiler floor. Ye be warned, we're going to be going to spoiler territory. If you haven't seen the film, you may want to pause us. Otherwise, if you don't care, you just uh, keep on listening. So the the elevator pitch, so to speak, about this film is that armed with only one word, tenet, and fighting for the survival of the entire world, a protagonist journeys through a twilight world of international espionage on a mission that will unfold in something beyond real time the emphasis being on that last little bit because the rest of that that intro doesn't really give the movie justice in a way well it's it's interesting how things were approached in many different ways in this film first of all for instance the main character of this film is called the protagonist right that's kind of different if he, you know, his name isn't Timmy. It's not Phil. It's, it's not Jen. I mean, literally, like, you know, when, when you hear the protagonist, mm-hmm. that is usually reserved for, like, if you're reading a screenplay, mm-hmm. you know, who is the protagonist? Oh, uh-huh. the protagonist would be Luke Skywalker. The protagonist would be Marty McFly. Not so much do you use the protagonist as the character's name, but in this that's how he's referred to. That's how he, that's what he calls himself. And so it's, it's, I don't know. Like I'm still trying to figure out why Christopher Nolan decided to, to call the main character that to be different. Well, it's just, it's weird because the, the world of tenant is it's, it's set in a very um, present day, real world, very accessible. It kind of reminded me of Batman, uh, uh, you know, Batman Begins, Batman the Dark Knight, Batman Dark Knight Rises, in the sense that he's he's not doing something that's very fantastical. He's he's grounding it. He's anchoring this world as if it could happen in our world. So it's weird that like he decided to have the main character's name be the protagonist. I mean, even for for the main character to to call himself that. That's in the third person. Like you don't say the Steve or the Russ. So it's, it's, it's interesting how they decided to go with that. And again, I'm not, I'm not giving any kind of like concluding opinions on that name simply because I think there's more merit to it. If one, if I know anything about Christopher Nolan, it's that every one of his films has an abundance of significance to the little details. Like nothing is just, left to chance because they felt like being lazy. Like there is a lot of symbolism and everything else. So to be continued on that, when it comes to the plot, and again, I I mentioned this during the non-spoilery part of, of our show, these characters get dropped in. So like, it's like, you know, from the get go, like the movie is like, we don't know what's happening. You're, you're at some sort of like Russian opera house. Um, there's something about to go down. We don't know what it is, but it's not good. It looks like there's going to be probably like some sort of uh, um, hold up or, or like ransom a, terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. Something really bad is going to happen. You have a lot of victims, that sort of thing. You have the Russian police coming in. You also have 
um, folks who look like they are um, American. But I don't know if they're CIA or, or whatever, but they um, are coming in also to try and thwart whatever's happening or who knows what. Anyway, very exciting. Pulse pounding. I mean, like that whole yeah, prologue. was awesome. I mean, yeah, dude, just the, the music, music and, yeah. and, and um, the way the, the film was shot and, and what was happening. Mean, I'm like, dude, okay, here we <laughs> I, go. I made the comment to my wife during the beginning. I mean, I was hooked to the beginning and we, we made the, the gourmet meal of macaroni and, and cheese with chili. And nice. so, uh, comfort food. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, I was eating that like it was popcorn. <laughs> I wasn't even like knowing how much I was and chewing and throwing down my gut. Look at my wife and she's looking at me like, man, you inhaled that. I'm like, are you seeing this? Yeah. Like this is nuts. Yeah. Really well done. I mean, once again, I mean, I, I, the, the first like 10 minutes of the movie, I'm like, this is Christopher Nolan. Okay. Here we go. Tenet. And, um, when it, you know, after that whole sequence ends, we see that like he, um, you know, he went for like some sort of pill that was it looked like cyanide pill or something like that. That's, that's what it was. It was supposed to be cyanide. It was supposed to be cyanide. Okay. So after that, then thing like, like fr from, from the moment the prologue started till the end of the prologue, I'm like, dude, I am in like, what is happening? This is awesome. This is really, really cool. So then we find him waking up in some sort of like secret hospital bed thing. We get introduced to someone who I believe is, is like an American secret operative or, or, or a supervisor who works for an, an American uh, agency, government agency of some kind. And we discover that what he just went through was some kind of test and that the pill itself wasn't even cyanide or something, but and even that was hard. And actually, let me, I'm going to pause myself. One of the things I think was a bit of a challenge, and I've heard this echoed from other people who've seen the movie, is that it, it was difficult to understand what people were saying. It was weird. And I didn't know if, it, if I was just tired when I watched the movie or not, but apparently that's not what it is. The way that the audio was mixed made it kind of difficult to, to track and follow what each of the, of the actors were saying. And so if I focused really hard, I, you know, it's, it's not like they sounded quiet. There was just this, I don't know. It was weird, but I think, I think it was a combination of the way it was mixed, the way the audio was mixed, but also like the way the film was cut too. Um, it didn't have a very, normal flow to the dialogue and the conversation. And so I think that also made things kind of hard to follow. But anyway, we, we come to find out that this was some sort of test, but at the same time, he's talking about how they had to rebuild his mouth. Did you, did you catch that? How like, like they really did pull teeth out of his, out of his yeah, mouth. Right. And like, um, and, it, and it wasn't a test in the sense that it, it wasn't like a simulation. It wasn't like you had actors like that actually did happen. It was really awful and terrible, but the government agency was testing him to see how good he was for this upcoming mission. So, um, you know, having said that it's going to be very confusing going forward because you know, this is part of the exposition, right? It's like, okay, you know, he passed the test. They want him to, to be a part of this thing with that, that they refer to called tenant. They said that this is the most important word that, that, you know, moving forward, 
you know, you've got to be able to understand what this is. And they drop him off at like this, like they're in the middle of the ocean and they drop him off at some kind of windmill. They're in like a windmill farm. Yeah. I think that was some English channel. I believe maybe, um, I didn't look where that was. I've seen that before, like watching Top Gear actually. And so, yeah, I, I think in those windmills, I think there's little quarters where like if there's maintenance workers working on the windmill, they could like sleep there and like maybe have some, some food or something for a day and before they get picked up by their, by their crew or something like that. So is it, is it, so it's a real type of setup then like, like you yeah. actually have people who work on the windmills who can actually live in the windmills. There's like kind of a, yeah. I mean, it's not supposed to be like a, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's about as small as it was like on the, on the film. I mean, it's not, it's, you're just supposed to be able to kind of hang out there for maybe a day or so. Um, it's not very good quarters and it's just supposed to keep you warm and dry. It's and, got the bare essentials. Yeah. And so was that, do you think that was like a cover for him? Like that was his, like he was fronting, like he was a maintenance windmill worker when in fact he was actually working for the U.S. government? That was definitely possible because I think he, when he walked out, he was wearing one of those jackets. It wasn't yeah. like he was wearing like, you know, CIA garb or a suit or something. He well, came, like he, he was, like, that's why I was wondering if he was just kind of fronting like he was a maintenance worker. He had the costume on and stuff, you know, like, so when he went to the next place, he was still wearing it, you know, like he right. was doing his thing as he was starting this, this new assignment. Right. I did. However, it had no idea like, like which government agency he was working for. I think that there were in passing, people were asking the character. They were asking him, are you CIA or are you whatever? But I, if he, if he said what it was, I missed it. Well, I mean, the tenant is, well, like you said in the beginning, tenant is the name of like the agency. And so he, it's a, it's a agency within the CIA, but they told him like, you're nobody now you're dead. Like you got killed. And, and that, that's how it looks on the books. Even right. though you didn't die, that's how everyone's going to perceive you. So it's not even like the CIA. It's like underground black ops, but not like military style black ops. Yeah. Um, so anyway, going through into, um, the, the plot, we go with him as he kind of discovers how there is this, this new type of phenomenon that, that is very hush hush where, and this, this part was even kind of weird too. So he goes to this lab, this laboratory that I guess is owned by the British. And it's there that he, where he kind of discovers more about what tenant is about, where, you can have these, these uh, kind of interactions with the future. Um, and so like they, they demonstrated this with um, like the bullet, like they were wearing a, some sort of special glove and then thinking about like picking up the bullet, they could pick up the bullet or if they wanted to spin it around and like basically do these things about, you know, basically it's almost kind of like, like the matrix in a way where like, if you think it, then it happens, but only within these confines in the space or something. Well, it was almost like you, you thought about dropping the bullet, but instead of you, you thinking about dropping the bullet, you're thinking about the reverse action. Like if you, if I took my headphones up and drop them on the table, they would probably bounce around a little bit and fall on the floor. But if I already thought about that happening and I had my hand up in the same spot, the, the headphones would kind of fumble around a little bit and then like jump up in the air and right into my palm. Right. Yeah. 
So they were trying to, to demonstrate kind of the basics of what tenant is. So that was interesting because it's like, okay, so there are people and they were alluding to like, you know, people in the future have this technology. They're, they're um, interacting with us in the past and yada, yada. So again, very interesting stuff where you're like, okay, wow, this is, this is kind of a, a big brain teaser here. Okay. Like, let's see what happens. And then the, the storyline begins to unfold. And so, um, again, we're meeting certain people like, like all of a sudden Robert Pat- Pattinson's character comes in. I think his name was Neil. And again, we don't know who he is or where he's from or whatever, but they have, uh, bef- you know, not necessarily befriended each other, but partnered up and have continued to, to go, to go on this kind of quest thing. Now at its core, you have Kenneth Branagh's character who, um, he's kind of the, the antagonist of the film. He's the one who's this Russian oligarch who apparently is very much aware of the technology uh, revolving around Tenet and is using it for his own power and wealth accumulation. And, and so he comes into play as well. Um, it's yes, Russ, it's difficult to know. I think so what's happening is, is that we, we come to find out that there is this contraption and apparently there's more than one. Um, but there are these, these contraptions that exist that allow people to go into. And then when they come out of it on the other side, it it's, they're able to kind of inverse time. So they're able to basically go into the past and as they're doing so, um, the past is, it's actually like, like, like everything is being rewound while they're going, going forward, forward exactly. into the rewounded past. Right. So a lot of their senses and things that are happening, they have to be very careful. It's actually a pretty fascinating approach to the butterfly effect. Are you familiar with how that concept works? Not that familiar, no. Essentially, like you have to be really careful what you do because it can have a cause and effect type of thing that has a ripple effect. You know, like, like if you were to like step on a leaf, you know, what could happen as a result of you doing that, thinking that like, Oh, I'm just stepping on a leaf. Well, no, actually if you were to go and back into the past or if you were to go into the future or whatever it is that could have huge cataclysmic uh, effects, right? Like as to like what, um, could happen to, uh, I think I've actually heard that analogy for coming from somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think they, they even have a movie called the butterfly effect, but anyway, to a certain extent, like, like that is kind of explored in this where they have to be careful, like when they're going through it to, to not mess anything up because, um, you could, you could have dire consequences. That whole thing is, um, I think really fun because it serves as um, this vehicle, this mechanism to be able to go back and forth. And I think the mechanism itself is the key to this whole thing because with characters that are dropping in at seemingly random points with the protagonist and, and trying to find out what's going on and everything else, it begins to reveal these other plot points and, and purposes of these characters existing. Like for instance, like um, the Indian woman that we come across in the film, 
uh, we, we, you know, we have no idea why they decided to infiltrate this building and we think it's the guy. And in fact, it's the woman who's the one who's in power and, um, everything else. But then we come to come to the end of the film where we realize that actually she's not the one who's in charge or whatever that actually she works for the protagonist. Like that was something that like, I was like, Oh, like, like they're like, he, had this moment of clarity where suddenly he realized that he was the one in charge, but that throughout all this time, all this craziness that he was experiencing was, was the result of his, of his past self having to play catch up with everything that was transpiring. Um, so again, those kind of things are really neat, but I felt like there was kind of like a bit of a, a change up in terms of, you know, how, as a viewer, I want to be invested in the characters. I want to be able to root for the protagonist. I want to be able to know what the stakes are, but we didn't really understand what the stakes were really until I would say halfway through the film. When like, we meet Kenneth Branagh's uh, character. What would you think? I mean, it actually what it, for me, it wasn't even halfway through. I mean, it was probably three quarters of the way through that. I started putting the pieces together. Uh, because I mean, they start. They they tell you about the algorithm, and then they 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 tell you that you know stepping into this kind of oscillating chamber puts you puts you in like real time versus past time, and and past time. What I mean is the the thing where you go forward into the time that's reversing, and so um, and then everything that was transpiring, they have to go back and revisit and. And they're telling you why they have to do this. And then you're figuring it out because the person that like, maybe you didn't know why they were fighting. Whoever <laughs> actually turned out to be themselves fighting them themselves and an alternate like time inverse something. And they had to do that because of another reason to get it listed a little bit closer to where their, their end goal was. And I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, at the end of the movie, it has to do with something that is told and encountered midway through the movie, but in the past. But somehow the guy was talking to the protagonist in the past for something that was happening in the future that he already knew. Like he he could cognitively uh, see into the future or something. I. I, th- I think what it is is, well, okay, there, there's a couple of things that just popped in my head. First of all, when I think of uh, the movie Inception, that's another Christopher Nolan uh-huh. film. I have a lot of notes from Inception in this. Interstellar as well. Did you ever see Interstellar? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, when it comes to Inception, though, what's interesting is that they took the time to explain right. what it is that they do. Right. So, for instance, like you have these guys who they specialize in being able to go into other people's dreams, right? They have this, this whole technology in place that acts as the mechanism for um, inception. So by the time Leonardo DiCaprio's character um, jacks in basically into these people's dreams, it's been explained to us in such a way where now as a viewer, it's like, okay, let's go on this ride. Let's go down the rabbit hole and see where this goes. You know, like, like, and there's a sense of danger and excitement and um, 
kind of like this, this tension that's there because now we understand the stakes. We understand precisely what's going on as they go into this person's dream state and exploring kind of the deeper stages of sleep. And I mean, a lot of really neat concepts right. that were explored. Yeah. Now, um, when it comes to Tenet, though, Nolan very consciously decided not to explain this stuff up front. He wanted to play around. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm beginning to understand why. Because the concept within Tenet revolves around the notion that when you start the movie, the movie, we, like as the viewer, we are assuming that the movie takes place in the present. But by the end of the film, we realize that actually we were watching his past self thinking that it was the present going through these motions, seeing the aftermath of what took place because his real present self was going back in time, was going back in the past in that reverse mode and doing things to fix stuff and, and accidentally bumping into his past self which was why we saw that that one fight scene take place where the guy, which by the way, I'm here to tell you, I knew that was him. Like when I saw that, that like that, that uh, gas mask, black clad figure come out of the, the doorway and all of a sudden he was fighting with him. I, I had this gut feeling. Normally I don't get that. I don't, I don't get those kind of gut feelings, but while I was watching, I'm like, dude, I'll bet you that's he's fighting himself. I want it. Cause I, there's something about it. And especially when um, Neil was chasing after the second guy and took off the mask and then had that, that, that moment of like surprise and shock and like didn't continue pursuing. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I could totally be wrong, but I think they were like fighting. They, they, they were fighting themselves or something. And I was really tickled that like that, that actually came to, to pass. But I do think, Looking at that, now things are starting to fall into place in terms of how this stuff works just because of these different characters that seemingly kind of plop out of nowhere. Like that British military platoon guy, like he came out you know, with a beard. Mm -hmm. I'm like, who's this guy? Like, and I think it's, it's, it's hinted throughout the film that there are these government, these international government agencies that are, both working together and kind of uh, not working together. Like, like again, it's going back to that whole government uh, espionage kind of thing. One of the things that I'm still not sure about is I don't know who actually built Tenet. Right. Like, is it the Russian oligarch that created um, the, the technology or is it someone else? That whole thing, I'm I'm still unaware of how that works. But at least there is the understanding now of like, okay, you know, once when we got to the part of the movie where they introduced the mechanism itself, as like, okay, this is how it works. You know, on this side, this is like the present, right? If you go over here, this allows you to go back in time. The longer you stay on this side then the more in reverse you go. And so it's interesting how there really wasn't a part of the mechanism that allowed you to go into the future. That was impossible. You couldn't do that. Um, and now if you went back into the present day side, and again, 
they they emphasized the like the present day was red and going in reverse was blue. That particular part was interesting too, because when you went back to the present day, then you had to almost kind of like, I don't know if they had a fast forwarding at all, but like you, you definitely had to like catch back up with yourself in the present after going in reverse. Now, again, I think this is where the recommended second viewing of the movie is, is uh, warranted because I think when you watch it the first time, you have some of these nuggets that are in place. And then I think a lot more will make sense. <laughs> it's like, you're, it's like you're, you're struggling to make sense of everything. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like <laughs> saying that you are, no, but no, no, no. trying to ex- re-explain what you've watched is difficult. And to be honest too, like just watching the movie and so much is happening in reverse and, and for, and going forward at the same time, it, it's hard for me to watch. Like, it's neat at some point where, like, one of the ships or the boats are going reverse in the water, and the water, like, is just kind of enveloping the hole instead of, like, a wave coming and, and cresting and then, you know, falling uh, to either side. We're used to s- seeing things move forward, not reverse. Same thing with, like, steam or smoke or birds flying in the sky. Everything is just moving forward. And so when we see things moving backward our brain will say, okay, everything is moving in reverse. And I can handle that for a little bit, but watching so much stuff going in reverse, yet watching people going forward, it and then trying to understand what's going on, it's almost, it's not impossible, but it, it is difficult. It is difficult. Throughout a two and a half hour movie to really understand. And that might be too why everything is difficult to understand. And maybe by the second f- uh, viewing you'll understand or your mind will be a little bit more at ease because it knows what to expect watching everything and going forward yet going in reverse. Maybe you can handle a little bit better and therefore you pick up more plot points or like plot holes in a sense. Um, so I, I mean, yeah, who made the, the algorithm? What was the algorithm? Um, who made the, the thing to go backwards in time? I mean, I, I, part of me even thinks that it was the the scientist in the beginning who actually explained it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she had something to do with it because it was only her and that Russian oligarch dude who knew anything about what was happening. But he couldn't he couldn't explain it. He just accepted it and moved through it. But he couldn't explain what was happening. He just kind of had that ability to to see what happened in the past and see a little bit forward in the future. The lady, the scientist, was the one who could actually explain what was happening to the protagonist. When I think too, uh, you know, by the by the time the film ends, this is one of the things that I've just thought about too. Is the protagonist throughout the entire movie is trying to figure out what is going on, who the players are, what the purpose of all this stuff is, how the mechanism works, and everything else. But what's interesting is that if you think of of the, the length of the movie, the journey of the protagonist itself. Again, that was, that was him in the past. Whereas when when he gets to the, when you get to the end of the film, he has accumulated all of this knowledge, right? He, he knows that that woman is the love interest of the Russian oligarch. He knows that the Russian oligarch is the Russian oligarch. He understands that Neil is someone who is an ally, that sort of thing. And that, 
at the end, like, like the Indian lady, for instance, is not the woman who is like the all knowing person. Actually he is in that she works for him and other, other people. I think that's when my brain goes, aha, because now in terms of going in reverse and, and having the, the tenant mechanism working in his favor, that all these things that, that he witnessed and that we witnessed going through the film was simply him having to like go back and write all these wrongs and like try and, and, and um, get this doomsday device from the Russian oligarch. But it's the journey itself where we're trying to make sense of everything that doesn't make sense and seemingly happenstance and random. Um, and I think that's where like the, the quote unquote masterpiece is starting to, to see the light of day in my brain where I'm like, okay, that's actually really cool because again, it's all a matter of kind of, putting your brain onto its ear because going into the film, we accepted the fact that what we're seeing was present day stuff. When you start to, to dissect it and then compartmentalize it in such a way where no, that actually we're seeing stuff that has already transpired and that the present itself isn't until the end of the film, suddenly compartmentalizing it that way. Now it makes a whole lot more sense. Now it, it, it makes sense why the characters were introduced in the manner of which they were introduced because, um, at the time it didn't make sense. Like, like what's the point of him meeting that woman? Well, why is she so important? You know, whatever. Now we get it. I guess we should explain too that. I mean, I, if, if someone has listened this far, they probably have already seen the movie. <laughs> But I mean, if someone hasn't, the reason why they need the, the whole, they're going on this mission is that something is about to happen where it's going to be basically annihilation or at least maybe like World War Three or just nuclear holocaust, whatever. They're going after this Russian oligarch wants to get all this plutonium from somewhere and he- He has a doomsday device. He has a doomsday device and he wants the world to end if he cannot live in it. Right. Basically, uh, which the blood pressure thing, I was like, oh, I can identify with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, you got my blood pressure up to 150. I'm like, ah, <laughs> I what know how that feels. Let me ask you this. I, at the end, was confused as to why the Indian woman was was going to try and assassinate the love interest. I didn't understand that at all. Like, what was the point of that? Because she was a loose end. Because she, she knew about Tenet. She knew about... Okay. Algorithm. I mean, at that point, I mean, everything had been divulged to her and she was just a random person. I mean, she was almost a nobody. So she could get hypothetically pushed to her limit and divulge this information to the wrong party. And yeah. this could all start all over again, maybe. And, so, And then the other question I had was, did she work for the Indian government agency or did she work for the USA? Or like, like that was one of the things I also was very unclear on was like where her loyalties lied basically. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it was, it, it had to be in India somewhere. Cause I mean, that's where she was living. Um, well, she could have been a plant. You never know. Yeah, but I, I don't, they didn't refer to her as like an arms dealer for the U.S. 
Well, or maybe, maybe not necessarily like an arms dealer, but maybe like, I don't, I don't even know if, if she was someone who sells supplies, like if she was, was she a supplier or was she a secret government agent? Like I just, I well, really they, was unclear on that. They made reference to her being an arms dealer. Okay. And so that, and that's partly why they thought it was her husband and not her because the arms dealer, you, you know, most dudes, I guess would you think you're another man, dude. Yeah. 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 Another thing that I think is worth talking about is what you had mentioned earlier, which is the, the, the whole visual element of going in reverse. I actually think that the, it's a really novel concept. The idea that instead of just going back in time, like if you, if you think of back to the future, you just get a DeLorean, you go back in time and then you're there, you're in the past of whatever that is. And you, and you can you know blip to any point in time immediately. Versus this, it's almost like like you you're going back in time into the past in real time, almost like a VCR. Where like you know if you're watching a video, and then you click you press and hold down the rewind key, and you're watching the footage go in reverse. Um, very interesting in that regard, and I liked how they did rely more on practical effects for that. There wasn't CG. It was it was literally like. Um, playing stuff in reverse, but then, you know, the more of the CG stuff came into play of like trick photography where you had the, the, the heroes, so to speak, or the villains be able to move forward in that reverse environment. And I think what's neat about it is I liked how they did take time to explain how the protagonist was going to react to being in this reversed condition where they were talking about how gravity feels kind of weird. You may feel a little nauseous. Um, breathing's different. Yeah, breathing's different. You have to have your own oxygen because of, of how things work. Like your lungs can't. For some reason, it affects your the way you, like your, your lungs would inhale and exhale air. And so you yeah. have to have like your own oxygen system. Yeah. Well, it's because, well, actually it's because everything's inverted. Remember how they said everything's inverted and that means oxygen turns into carbon dioxide. Fire so, turns into ice. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff. So like all of that was really neat. I thought I was like, man, that's, that is a brain t- like teaser right there. Cause like just being able to like think of, you know, what, what is up is down and down is up. And that was when that, uh, that's when Neil said, I think you're the only guy to catch hypothermia from being burned. Yeah. When the car caught on fire. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of that, I mean, I applaud that. I think that is really outside the box thinking uh, it is pretty crazy to think about like, and, and I'm glad that they set it up in the way they did, because when we finally go with the protagonist in reverse, there is this sense of dread and threat where I'm like, Oh my gosh, like what do we expect in this? You know, suddenly the world as we know, it becomes a very dangerous place. And it's not because of like a person shooting at you. It's literally like, what the heck? If you notice, like, like when he was driving the car, um, that's why he was driving it in reverse. Because if you think about it in the real world and under normal circumstances, when you drive in reverse, you have to think invertedly, don't you? Mm-hmm. Like if you want to make a left, you have to move the steering wheel the opposite way. Well, when you're when you're doing the uh, the tenant way of going in reverse, suddenly it becomes like you're driving normally. So it's like all that is really really cool. I want to break from that because we could talk about that stuff for a while longer, um, and I feel like like we've we've gotten kind of the main parts 
talk, you know, not necessarily explained, but we, we've been able to share our thoughts on it. I want to talk about the cast. Uh, first of all, I was very impressed with Robert Pattinson's performance as Neil. Isn't he supposed to be the next Batman? He is. He's supposed to be the next Batman. And to be fair, like I really haven't seen him do other performances. And I, I remember back in the, the, during like the twilight heyday, he was kind of the love interest of that vampire movie. Was it called twilight? It's called, I think it was called twilight. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that didn't interest me. It was more for like 13 year old girls and stuff. And then it just oh, seemed kind of hokey and, uh, Vampire hater. Isn't it like, wasn't it the one where like, like, like the vampires were in the sun, they had glitter on or something like something it like sounded that, yeah. really cheesy. Anyway, I think there was kind of a stigma that got created with um, him as an actor, just because he was in that film, nothing personal against the guy or anything else. However, seeing him in this movie, I liked him. I thought, he was charming. I thought his, his uh, delivery of his lines were great. I thought his facial expressions really complimented like what was going on in any given situation. Uh, I liked the mystery that he was able to cultivate around his character. And it really gave me confidence in him being the next Bruce Wayne. I wanted to, to throw that out there and give him kudos because he was one of my favorite characters in the movie. And I wanted to know more about the character. I wanted to know more about like the, the, the motives behind it. And you really didn't even a hundred percent understand where his character came from by the time the film ends either. They, they did a really nice job of like giving you just enough information to realize this guy's a really good friend. Like he basically sacrificed himself in the movie. If you notice like when the protagonist failed to get through the gate, where the doomsday device was, he basically like went through the machine twice and sacrificed himself. He was the one who got shot at the end, but then was able to keep going in his manner. And that, that's why the protagonist at the end was, you know, was uh, crying because he realized who that was that put himself in harm's way to make sure the protagonist survived. Um, and it's really neat. It's only it, kind of a guardian angel type of uh, character in that regard. What did you think of Robert Pattinson, Steve? And, you know, I thought he was absolutely fine. I, I, I wasn't, like, thrilled about him, I would say. Uh, he did give the extra emotion that I didn't get from John David Washington. John David Washington, J.D. Dub. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought J.D. Dub was very striking on screen. I thought he, he did a great job for the, the purpose that he was supposed to do. Um, but I felt that uh, Patterson was good at uh, yeah, Pattinson, Pattinson, Patterson, Pattinson, Pat, the son, um, gave that, that emotion that was, that was needed, but I thought he was, there was an emotional complexity with his character that I, actually both of them had a certain level of complexity, but I feel like his, he had more of that intrigue, that mystique with yeah. the, the emotional complexity. Yeah, I would say so throughout the film though, when I'm watching him, I, I kept thinking how similar I was feeling when I was watching um, uh, the dream movie, Inception. And then I thought, well, I wonder how Tom Hardy would be in the place of... I did too. You know what I'm saying? There, there was that, that kind of moment of 
duality where like I totally thought the same thing. Yeah. And I thought, well, I don't know if, if, uh, if, if Hardy could actually do the emotion in this movie, because, you know, we saw a little bit more emotion with Hardy and Venom, but we didn't see very much emotion per se in Inception. Because it didn't call for it. It didn't call for it. Right. So I, that, well, that's because I didn't really see it. So anyway, well, well, and I think it's a testament to the casting choices yeah. because I was actually really glad that he was not in this role that Robert Pattinson actually got the role of Neil because I think he was a much more natural fit for this particular role by that same token. I'm glad that, that Robert Pattinson was not the character in um, Inception Right. That, you know, because I feel like, like that was actually really well done on that side as well. So continue, Steve. Anyhow, um, what I w- would have preferred, I think, at the end was, um, and th- this is not with his acting. This is actually more towards like screenplay, but d- touching on what you said towards the end about how he was this guardian angel. It w- I think it would have been nice to have a gimme at the end where, uh, John David Washington real or let's just say protagonist, the protagonist realizes has like a quick flashback of sorts, let's say of all the times that, that Pattinson jumped in and assisted him or that realization of who he is and how he's always been there. And so it could make us catch up a little bit and have a bigger aha moment versus at the end where he says, you know, oh, well, you know, who recruited you? He's like, you haven't figured it out by now? I'm like, I haven't figured it out either. And then he <laughs> says, you did. I'm like, where? And he's like, we're not going to tell you when. I'm like, oh, okay, that sucks. All right, fine. I'll just accept it. <laughs> well, you know? and when he said that, one of the things that, that came to mind was actually um, Doc from Back to the Future, where he says, no one should ever know about their future. They, they, you know, it, it's very dangerous to explain to, to past selves or to past people, people in the past, uh, what happens to them in the future. I mean, that, that was one of the big themes in Back to the Future that I, I really loved. And I think it was, it was wise of them to include in this as well, because, again, there is a substantial amount of risk if you decide to go through the, the, the mechanism itself to go back in time and, and to, to reverse and then, you know, do your thing or whatever, that is a bit of a problem because you don't want to mess up anything that happens because you're trying to fix it. Like, I think that's one of the really fun kind of, uh, I don't know, like, like pillars of time travel we'll say is there's always something that you're trying to fix. Like, like something happens uh, and you're trying to, to, to make amends or, or, or patch up something that goes on. But then along the way, you run the risk of causing all this other mayhem and destruction unintended. But that's one of the things that, that you have to be careful for. So, um, yeah, the, the more we talk about it, I mean, the, 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 this movie is pretty cool. Did you have um, any comments about Michael Caine? Michael Caine oh had Oh my a- gosh. I, I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Whatever movie Michael Caine is in, I mean, he, he's he got just, I don't know what it is. He's got like charisma and presence and I guess listen to him speak. I love whatever he's in. I know, me like, too. I could like not like the movie, but I would love seeing Michael Caine on screen. 
Yeah. And he didn't really have much of a part, which is he, unfortunate. It was almost like, like a cameo. Yeah. Uh, he, he had about five minutes of screen time, but it, I mean, again, he brings authenticity to any given movie he's in because He's, he's Michael Kine. He's Michael Kine. Michael Kine. I'm here to be able to bestow upon you some <laughs> knowledge, very amazing exposition and knowledge, <laughs> knowledge from the past as well as the future. It does. <laughs> that sounded good. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. I'm Michael Kine. He is getting a bit old, though. You know, but he's like man. a fine wine. You, you know? have to freeze that man and then thaw him out like 20 years from now so we can still have him. He's the gift <laughs> that keeps on giving. And it's fantastic that, you know, whenever whenever his time comes, at least we will have this this wonderful pedigree of films to be able to go back and be like, man, that's a, that's a fine actor right there. Russ, I want to ask you about the cinematography because I thought I, I freaking loved it. Well, yeah, and that, that's what I was saying earlier about, about how this film, I mean, it just looks like a Christopher Nolan movie. Like, like he really had his signature all over it. Do you know if he filmed this one also? Because I, I know he filmed, like, Dunkirk and um, uh, what's the, in IMAX kind of film. Yeah. Did he do that with this one? Because it definitely felt like we saw a lot more on screen than we actually did. Like, it felt like, he filmed it in like a wide lens or something. I felt like I saw either it was his angles that he used or something, but I, I just felt like I saw a lot more on screen, not like it was zoomed away or something, but um, I don't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it, but it definitely seemed to... I yeah, to answer your question, I, I want to say, I don't know this 100%, uh, but I believe at least sections of it was shot in IMAX, uh, if not all of it, because it did have that certain IMAX kind of look to it. But it wasn't just that, though. It was the whole filming style. Like, sometimes there was just enough uh, on screen, like that, like in the beginning when they're in that train yard, right? And they're about to, they're going to torture these two guys to get information out of them or kill them either way. But those trains are going, you know, to and from whatever. They're very, very slow speeds, but he's sitting like in the middle of the picture and those, and the trains on their tracks are kind of going back into the distance, but it's almost like that, that depth perspective when something is being center and focused. I don't know what it is. Or it, even with those ships and with that, when that, with the windmills and the ocean, how there's a slow pan, like everything that, the filming, the cinematography was spot freaking on, like 10 out of 10 throughout the entire movie. <clears throat> yeah, the, the cinematography was done by Hoyt Van uh, Hoytema. Um, and I'm actually, I'm going to do a quick little search on him to see. I believe he's worked with Nolan in the past. Yeah, he worked on Dunkirk, Interstellar, um, Ad Astra... Yeah, he's he's done a number of of uh, um, oh he was yeah Spectre. Yeah, he's he's been doing it since about two thousand one, at least according to his profile here. Uh, but terrific job. I mean, yeah, it, it was a awesome looking movie. Yeah, and also the we we touched a little bit on the the music. Now the I'm not gonna go out and buy the soundtrack. I'm not that big of a soundtrack guy. However, I also, this is also one of the high points of the movie is the soundtrack, even though it was like, oh, like melodious. I want to go out and 
you know, listen to this while I'm driving. It fit the movie. It like, really did. How did they pick these tracks? They must have had to go through like there's hundreds upon hundreds of tracks to figure out. Well, no, they had a composer. They, the, the, Is they, that what it was? Yeah, Ludwig Gr- uh, Granson. Granson. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, he, he made something familiar, like recent, though. That sounds familiar. What did he do? I, you know, he's actually a newer name. He's, he's I think he's a younger gentleman. Um, I'm not too familiar with his uh, filmography, but... Say there was there was a movie where Hans Zimmer was supposed. To, what doesn't didn't he? He study? did do Creed two. Uh, he also did Venom. Okay. Um, those are well. I I guess he he helped out with Black Panther. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of those are kind of more yeah, of the, the bigger I, ones there. Creed but. two and Black Panther are the ones that I, I think I'm, I'm 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 never seeing his name. Anyhow, um, it's interesting though that that Nolan didn't work with Hans Zimmer. Because normally Zimmer is kind of his go-to, but I'm glad that he worked with uh, Ludwig because I thought he did, I agree, I think he did a terrific job. Honestly, I mean, from what I've heard of Zimmer, I don't know if Zimmer could have done what what this dude did. They're all talented in their own right. In in their own right, yeah, but the music to fit this movie like a glove. It did, yeah. Like... No other, not, no other movie I've seen. I mean, there, there's been some movies where, okay, yeah, the, the composition of the Batman one, for example, like the, the music really fit, but there's not many movies where the composition just, it, it fits it perfectly. What is trying to be depicted, what is being shown, yeah. the intensity, like, it, the, the, fantastic job. Award winning. I hope, I hope this guy gets nominated. Movie trivia time? Yes, please. Courtesy of IMDb, I actually have quite a few really neat little nuggets here. The first one is that the production team purchased and then crashed a real 747 airplane uh, into a would, hangar. Would not surprise me. The stunt was all practical effects with no visual effects or CGI. Fantastic. Christopher Nolan had originally planned to use miniatures and set piece builds. However, while scouting for locations in Victorville, California, the team discovered a massive array of old planes and it became apparent that it would actually be more efficient (laughs) to buy a real plane of the real size and perform the sequence for real in real time on camera. Go big or go home. There you go. I got, I got this great idea. <laughs> I see, I see what this huge real 747. I, I want to crash it into <laughs> a hangar. How much is it going to be to build a miniature model of an airport? <laughs> to the 747. <laughs> yeah, a few hundred quid. Like, what about if we actually purchase? The 747. <laughs> and we actually crashed 47. It. A few billion quid. I like it. You, you know, I've always wanted to purchase a 747, and now I've got me chance. <laughs> <laughs> I want to drive it into the building. Can I do that? <laughs> I got this crazy idea. Yeah. Do you know who I am? I'm Christopher Nolan. I'm Christopher freaking Nolan, man. <laughs> it's my plane. I just bought it. Uh, 
we, we could go on. <laughs> All right, moving on here. Uh, there was much secrecy surrounding the project before its release. Actor Robert Pattinson said that he was only allowed to read the script in a locked office at Warner Brothers Studios. With the lights off. His co-star, Michael, his co-star, <laughs> Ma- Michael Kine wasn't even allowed to read the entire screenplay. He was given his scenes only to read before shooting prior to the movie's release. Kane told press that he had no idea what the film was about, despite being a very close friend and a frequent collaborator of director Christopher Nolan. The word tenet presumably originated from the Sator Square, a word square containing a five-word Latin palindrome that dates back to the ruins of Pompeii. The puzzle is a five by five square made up of five letter words written in five lines. Sator, Arapo, Tenet, Opera, and Rotas. In every direction the square is rotated, these five words appear both horizontally and vertically, a property that fits the time inversion feature of the film. It is also notable that all five words appear in the film. Knew it. Kenneth Branagh's character is named Andre Sator. Uh Uh-huh. The forger responsible for the painting and cat, uh, who was, you know, Elizabeth uh, DeBecky's former lover, was named Tomas uh, Arepo. Right. The term tenet is the name of the organization that the protagonist is recruited into. I thought it had to do with rental property. Opera refers to the location of the opening scene. And then Rotos is the name of the security company. Right. That is what I love to love to call significance. <laughs> I'm telling you, none of this stuff is happenstance. Christopher Nolan is very methodical when it comes to these little things and just... I, I, I just got chills, Steve. I just got chills. I will have you know, I do not read these ahead of time. Uh-huh. So I, I'll, I'll kind of skim the surface and then, we'll, you know, it's like, okay, we'll add this, we'll add that. I did not read that until just now, Steve. Hmm. It's pretty freaking cool. Awesome. Composer Ludwig Goransson uh, incorporated director Christopher Nolan's own breathing as a part of the soundtrack used around Sir Kenneth Branagh's villainous character. The sound was achieved by Nolan breathing heavily into a microphone and Ludwig manipulating that into uncomfortable and raspy sounds. Very nice. I didn't even... It wasn't like I heard someone breathing. Oh, that sounds like Christopher Nolan breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Robert Pattinson (laughs) revealed that he did much of the stunt driving for the film, including one particular sequence shot in Estonia, where he and John David Washington were in a BMW with an IMAX camera. There you go, Steve. Uh Rigged to the hood. This meant that he could scarcely see anything through the windshield and a slight turn would result in the rig hitting the road. Well, he was just driving forward, honestly. I'm sure he was probably also saying, I'm Batman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Okay, we're going to do stunt driving. Okay, I'm ready for it. What I'm going to do, just drive forward and hit the gas pedal. I I can do that. There were approximately 3,500 extras involved in the opening Opera House sequence. Once again, not CGI. All those people in there, yeah, those are real people. 3,500. Yeah. I'm Christopher Nolan. Do you know who I am? <laughs> I don't need to ask for extras. 
<laughs> extras come asking for me. <laughs> you know, now that I have myself a real 747 jumbo jet, I could fly oh. all the extras <laughs> to the set. I want lots and lots of extras. I'm not talking about 100 extras or 500s or even a thousands. I want 3,500 extras. Why? Because I'm bloody Christopher Nolan. That's why. <laughs> the working title for the film was Merry-Go-Round. Oh, that's uh, that wouldn't have hit marketing too well. But it does make sense, doesn't it? <laughs> Merry-go-round. Uh, 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 forward, reverse. Forward, reverse. Uh, 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 mechanisms in a little circle. Okay. I like it. The Warner Brothers and <laughs> Syncopy logos are shaded red and blue, respectively, at the beginning of the film. Mm. These are the colors used in the film to represent normal and inverted time. Yeah. Significance. Throughout the film, the color red is used to indicate time going forward and blue is used to indicate a time inversion. This is a reference to the Doppler effect by which bodies of light traveling away from the earth appear red as the light waves are stretched outwards, which is a red shift, and bodies of light traveling towards the earth appear blue as the light waves are compressed together, which is known as a blue shift. What do you think about them apples there, Steve? Mm, that's, uh... Significance! Blows your mind. In addition to performing stunts backwards, the main cast actually learned how to speak in reverse for their roles. Sir Kenneth Brana not only learned how to speak backwards, but also had to do it with a Russian accent as he is Northern Irish in real life. I got to pause here just really quick because we didn't really talk too much about Kenneth. I thought he did a great job too. Like the dude scared me a bit he's in pretty, this movie. He's pretty tense. Yeah. With his eyes. Yeah. Pretty, really good antagonist. Well done. Yeah. yeah. That'd be interesting if they, if his name throughout the movie was the antagonist, which, like, I, which we know now it was not. <laughs> Apart from several of the film's lead actors, the final battle sequence involved the entire stunt team and hundreds of extras. Given the demands of the action, as well as the very hot temperatures, there was one prerequisite for the background players. They were all required to be ex-military. This was put into place because the stunt team knew that the extras were going to be in full military fatigues with guns and gear for 10 plus hours per day in the desert heat. Adding to the task, they'd be running over a hilly terrain littered with rocks and concrete with carefully placed detonations going off all around them. So the, what you saw, I mean, and that was, it's interesting to read that because as I was watching the film, I'm like, man, this is, this scene feels legit. Like when you saw the military running and, you know, getting into positions and firing and stuff, it, I mean, it, I, I was telling myself at the time, I was like, man, they really did some good training on this because this, this is feeling... Like, I'm buying into it. It doesn't seem Hollywoody. Well, makes sense. <laughs> uh, let's see here. In the climactic battle scene, the military is split into two teams a red team that moves forward in time, and a blue team that is inverted and moves backwards. Whenever the focus is on the blue inverted team, the score, the music score, changes 
to include a short motif, which is also played backwards. This is reminiscent of the Inception soundtrack, uh-huh. wherein the main motif was based on a greatly slowed down version of the French song, Non Jeden Regrette Rien, to represent the apparent slowing of time when dreaming. And finally, during the climactic battle scene, the red team and blue team both have 10 minutes to complete the final mission. The word 10 forward and 10 backward. What does it say? Tenet. (laughs) Boom! Boom! chills again steve that's because it's cold in here chills again when it all starts to fall into place and make a whole lot of sense it's a fine movie steve yeah okay that's a fine movie right there i I love i love it i love when you when when you're methodical like that yes i i know you love when i'm methodical when you plop stuff in there like that yeah i know you love when i plop stuff in Woo. Makes sense on so many different levels, Steve. So many different levels. Hmm. Look at this. Look at this grin over here. It's it's, uh, it's almost a deranged grin because there's, there's, a, there's a lot there, Steve. Your microphone's there's in the a way. whole lot. It's like eating grape nuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner on the same day. There's a whole lot there. It doesn't seem like much when you first start biting into it and you take a spoonful and you're like, whoa. There is a whole lot. Actually. A whole lot there, Steve. I like me some soggy grape nuts. I don't like to eat them when they're really crunchy. It gets stuck in my teeth. You are soggy. There's a whole different taste. A soggy grape nut, Steve. That's what you are. You are a soggy grape nut. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go into our concluding thoughts. Steve, please disclose what you thought and your rating, please. Russ, okay, so... I am going to say, yes, it is worth a second viewing if you can stand watching it like back to back. Otherwise, the the trouble is if you if too much time go by before you watch it again, you're going to have to go all through the movie and figure out what's happening. And then you're going to go, oh, I need a second viewing. I just can't stand to watch it again. And I think that that is probably where it kind of shoots itself in the foot because yes, it is a very intellectually stimulating movie. You can't just sit there and be entertained. If you're not focused, like if you blink, I mean, good thing we were streaming the movie because if I, if someone had to go out to the bathroom watching this movie, they'd be lost forever. Oh, totally. Like you, you definitely cannot leave. Like you cannot hardly blink. You have to be so like laser dot focused all the time to understand what's happening. And then by the end of it, you're exhausted. So yes, maybe on the second viewing, if I watch it relatively soon, I'll, everything's going to light up for me in my head. I'm going to be clicking on all these light bulbs. I'm going to be glowing by the end of the movie. Um, and, and I think that's where it's difficult because I want to go back and watch it for fun, not necessarily for understanding. Like, unless I'm really dead set on seeking understanding, I'm not really that intent on going to watch it again. But that being said, and there's other stuff to love about the movie, like I said, like the cinematography is spot on, the music is spot on, the acting for everyone's part is very spot on. The movie does have not just good points, but great points to it. Uh, and 
it is entertaining, but you, man, it, it is, it is hard to watch with all the, like the reverse action plus the forward action happening at the same time. It's, it's a hard movie to understand and it is a hard movie to watch. That's what I'll say. But it, it, if you can put in the time, I, I would say there is definitely some reward there. Rating, I would say three and a half. Three and a half stars, Steve gives it. Well, Steve, there is a lot of underlying significance to Christopher Nolan's approaches to subject matter of any of his films. And this film is no slouch in that department, as we have witnessed tonight. I think the idea itself of Tenet is rather fascinating, but I wish that the setup was clear as I would be more engaged in the stakes and invested in the characters. That was a bit of a block for me throughout the film, even after us talking about it at great length tonight. I do see that as still an impediment to me being invested. And that's what I want. Like I, I yearn to be invested in the characters, both good and bad, you know, the, the protagonists and the antagonists. I want to just really understand what's going on. That, that does not mean, however, that I want to be spoon fed everything because I do like the sense of mystery. I do like the sense of intrigue. I do like having to put things together and, and ultimately have discoveries, these aha moments. So I want to make it clear that it's it's really like what I'm talking about is is I want the the setup of itself to just if they would, would have just given me a little bit more just a little more sprinkling of who these characters are and what's happening and you know what what these government agencies are just a little like if they spent like five more minutes um, I think I I would have gotten there. Having said that, what's interesting is. I had a lower rating in my head when we started this. And then as we were talking things through and having these moments of discovery during the, the show, my rating has gone up because now I have an appreciation of what it is that they're doing. And I think upon watching it a second time, I think my rating would actually go up higher. So I'm understanding why I have seen so many other people echo that same exact sentiment of like, they were saying, well, you know, my rating for this film was actually lower. I watched it again, and now it's like almost a perfect score. I think I might fall in that category, Steve. But I agree with you. I think the acting is superb. I think the music it was very fitting for what was going on, and I liked it. Like, I mean, it really, I mean, it had some certain moments where, like, it kind of rubbed on you, girl. Like the music itself, kind of grinded on you and grinded ways. up on you. It did. Like there's certain parts where I'm like, ooh, ooh jeez, that was get that off was, me. That wasn't even a sound effect. That was music. That <laughs> was giving like, me whoo. a rash. You're grinding so hard. Um, <laughs> I think I'll probably end up getting the soundtrack. No. But yeah, the cinematography, like you said, was beautiful. It was really well done. I, I've always enjoyed also like how Christopher Nolan tells his stories. So when it comes to a film like this, I think I'm going to give it four stars. Uh, you always rate it a bit higher than I do, Russ. That's because you're a pessimist, Steve. But when it comes, <laughs> I'm here to tell you though, I was walking into this going, I was huh? going to give it three stars. Huh? It gained another star based off of 
us uh, analyzing and talking about it. And not I, just half a star? Not just half a star. A full star, Steve. Yeah. Okay. Four stars. And I'm here to tell you that I think after I watch it a second time, I am pretty confident that that rating may go to a 4.5, oh. maybe even a five-star rating. Oh. Not, I'm, not, I'm not sure where it's going to hmm. fall. Maybe it'll stay the same. Maybe it won't. But... 4.5 is within the reality or realm of possibility, I should say. Mm. Are well, you are you going to pick this movie up? I think I will. Mm. Honestly, mm. I, I tend to collect every Nolan film just because, again, the concepts that he explores, the, I mean, at the end of every movie I watch, I'm just floored at these different areas of interest of his. They're, they're so different. Like he, he's very much a, a philosophical director. He's someone who likes to play around with these different theories or different types of um, mental or psychological states and stuff. And like, it, it, it's, it's, it's like very meat and potatoes, you know, like, like it's, it's not a fast food film when you watch a Nolan film, like, like a lot of it is cerebral. A lot of it is introspective. Um, oh yeah. Introspective. Nolan like, seems like he, he likes this theory of like the, the time space continuum kind of deal. Like if you look at in like there, there's a definitely element, similar elements of like an interstellar and inception and in this mm -hmm. where, yeah, the story for sure is different, but I mean, there is a lot of commonality between the three movies. Uh, yeah, there's commonality. I would say, you know, similarity as well. I think what he's doing though, is he's exploring very different components that share some of those similarities together. And I, and I'm thankful for that. I I'm, I have nothing but gratitude because he is showing us as an audience, these things that I never really thought about at that level of, of depth, really, you know, the, the, the concept or notion of, going back and like, like his whole time travel thing. I think it's neat that like, you can't go into the future. Like you literally, he, he's only dealing with past and present. And then even like, like the vehicle for, for being able to, to interact within the past itself is um, kind of a different, I would, I would argue, I wish that we got to see more of some of the stuff going on with the past versus the present. Like we, we had some of those things happening here and there and the, and it was very thrilling to watch. I wish that, that maybe they could have pushed that, that, that envelope open even more and, and seeing some of the uh, cause and effect and, and the, the dangers of being in that world. This movie almost needs like an extended version. Maybe for all that to happen. Like, give us another 30 minutes. I'd be down. Yeah, I'd be down, too. That wraps up this episode of Joy, guys, and make sure you tune in next week. We want to thank you for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M, and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do with your monetary support. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will see you all next week. <laughs>